where the writer writes, Through Him then, that's through Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to His name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. And let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a good conscience desiring, desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. And I urge you all the more to do this so that I may be restored to you the sooner. Well, as we start digging into this text, I want you to notice, first of all, the repetition of the sacrificial language. Look at verse 15. He uses the imagery of the old covenant. He says, Through Him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. And even then in verse 16, Do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. takes the imagery of sacrifice in the old covenant and brings it into the new covenant. However, rather than being animal sacrifices, they're a different sort. In verse 15, we have a sacrifice of praise that is worship and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ that comes out of our mouth, and He calls that a sacrifice. Verse 16, we have the sacrifice of good works, that is, doing good things for others, that is, sharing, considering others more important than yourself, of giving yourself to others. New Covenant worshipers are no longer to be engaged in the animal sacrifices, instead, that are being engaged as sacrifices of praise and good works. And the mercy of God and Jesus Christ has so transformed us that all we can do is really give our all to Him. Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he says, I urge you, brethren, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. In other words, because of the mercies of God, have come to us in Jesus Christ, our proper response is really to give everything to Him. And that's what really replaced our old covenant sacrifices, right? Giving all of our lives as a living sacrifice rather than the old covenant sacrifices. And that's our, our purpose in life. And that's what we see here in verse 15. My point is this. My point is sing. Point number one, verse 15. Through Him then, that is through Jesus... Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise, singing to God, worshiping to God, lifting high His name, offering our praise to God. Just as the smoke of the sacrifices and the burnt animals would ascend to God, so likewise, our worship and our praise, we lift that up to the Lord. Notice that praise here is vocal. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to His name. So what he's talking about, he's talking about vocal praise to God, which is our sacrifices. Speaking or shouting or whispering. It doesn't have to necessarily be singing, although, though I've called it here singing, because so often praise exhibits itself in that way. Many of the Psalms, right? Psalm 95 verse 1, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Or Psalm 96, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with joyful singing. It's just, just a few of the references. Just singing our praise to God. Well, I hope you notice that even the call of the Old Covenant really was to sing. So God's purpose is to be a singing people. God's people are to sing with happiness and gladness. And just as empty nesters need a, a new purpose in their life, 
Um, it's not a, a different purpose than bringing up their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And now they themselves are to live in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so here, the new covenant worship is what the old covenant has always been talking about. It's been talking about singing. It's not much different in the old covenant. Rather, it's, it's just not the sacrifices. But listen to this. It's one thing for the old covenant worshiper to sing for joy to the Lord, but how much more for us it's an entirely new thing for us, a different for us in the New Covenant, because our thrill of the Gospel ought to far exceed their thrill of the Old Covenant in the Temple. Because what we have is better than what they have. Right? Because Jesus is better than anything the Old Covenant has to offer. That's why I've called this better worship. Right? Singing with joy to Him ought to be better. Now, notice a few things here in verse 15, what it says about it. It says, first, our, our worship comes through Jesus. Verse 15, verse 1, Through Him then... Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. That is, our worship to God comes through Jesus. It's exclusive. We don't worship God through animal sacrifices now. We don't worship Him through priests or any particular ritual. Rather, our worship of God comes through Jesus Christ. He purchased our redemption. He is our great High Priest and we come to Him through His mediatorial work. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No one comes to the Father but through Jesus. And just as we don't come to the Father through Jesus, so also our worship is through Jesus as well. It's exclusive. It's also continual. Look what it says there. Through Him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. That is, in every and every circumstance we ought to worship the Lord. There's never a time when we ought not to worship the Lord doesn't mean that we always need to be singing audibly, but it does mean we should have a song in our heart 24-7 that is able and ready to worship the Lord when the time comes. It's the spirit of what, what Phil read for us in 1 Thessalonians 5. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks to the Lord. I mean, again, that's Old, Testament, Old Covenant worship, but just magnified. Because worship is far more than just singing in the assembly. Worship is far more than just coming to the temple. Worship is an everyday, all-the-time activity, right? And when we come on Sunday morning, it's the expression, the overflow of something we've done all week long. Primarily, I want you to notice even what comes out of our sacrifice of praise. That is thanks. The fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. It's gratitude, a heart of gratitude for all the blessings that He has done for us. And when you understand the book of Hebrews... You understand how great the gift of Jesus Christ is to us. All you can do is just abound with thanksgiving. You know, what, what is the opposite of thanksgiving? It is complaining. It's, it's really, giving thanks is just an expression of gratitude to God for all the things that we've done. The opposite of that is God has given us things and what do we do? We complain about it. So whenever you complain, you are not one who is giving thanks to God. So you can just say, well, how, how good am I at this new covenant better worship of Jesus? Well, just say, how often do I complain? And that's how far you, you lack from worshiping the Lord. So I just encourage you, church family, let's sing. Let's sing praise to God. Along to verse 16, our second point. Let's serve. Serve. Verse 16. And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Doing good is simply observing the needs of those around you and doing what's beneficial for them, doing what's helpful for them. 
Sharing is, is simply allowing the things you have to be used by others, whether it's your home or your car or your tools or your time or your skills or your money. Just giving it, sharing it for others. And so this whole verse 16 of Hebrews chapter 13 is really the golden rule, right? In everything, Jesus said, treat people the same way that you'd like them to treat you. James called that the royal law, loving your neighbor as yourself. Paul said that you fulfill the law when you love your neighbor as yourself. It's what verse 16 is talking about here. Doing good and sharing, right? right? Loving others by doing that. And I just say that's a difficult thing to do. It's very difficult to love others in this way because we're all self-centered people having needs of our own. We need to spend a lot of time providing for our own Providing for our house and our needs and our family. And the things that we have consume us quite a bit. And then to to get out of that, then to go and look towards the needs of others, it's hard to look outside of that. And that's why verse 16, I think, calls it a sacrifice. Do not neglect doing good and sharing. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. A, a A literal sacrifice, something completely given to the Lord. An animal killed, placed upon the altar, burned, burned up completely. That animal is totally given to the Lord. And so also, when we give ourselves and we share, it's a, it's a call to serve and to sacrifice completely. A total commitment from our, our behalf. So, it's, it's very hard to do. It's very difficult. But listen, it's possible. The testimony of the church shows that. They committed themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Committed themselves, did they, to sharing their lives with others. The result, they were selling their property and their possessions. Were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need, to such an extent that there was not a needy person among them. They took care of the widows in the church. When the persecution of Christians were strong in Jerusalem, the churches from from Macedonia all collected up a, a, a collection so as to give to the poor and needy saints. Listen to Paul's testimony of the sacrifice of the church of Macedonia. 2 Corinthians 8. I testify according to their ability, and here it is, beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation and support of the saints. In other words, the churches of Macedonia gave more money than they could afford to help the churches in Jerusalem. Further than that, they begged Paul, please let me be involved. Please let me be involved in giving this. To other parts of it was really the joy of the Lord. It was their heart of sacrifice. And so, church family, I would encourage you to be givers. Be a giving people. Give financially to those who need. Give to the church. Give to missions. Give to anybody that you see. You know, it's interesting as I've traveled to Nepal on several occasions and have mixed with Bob Clinton who's doing a great work over there with widows and orphans. Um, it, he can't be there in country all the time, and so he, he's got some staff people for First Love International. He's told me before what he looks for in, in staff people, native Nepalis, who he's going to entrust um, his ministry to. And he says he always looks for those who give. Because even there in a poor nation, there's lots of people who are takers, but there are those who are givers. And, and Bob just says he looks for those who give and who pass on and who press on because he knows that those kind of people are faithful people who are looking out for others' interests rather than their own. And these are people in their poverty that whatever they have, they give and they serve others with that. And so I would say, church family, let's be people like that who give of ourselves to others. 
be with other people, love other people, sacrifice for other people, just fulfill Hebrews 13, 1-3 that we looked at a few weeks ago. Let love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them and those who are ill-treated since you yourselves also are in the body. Right? Love the brethren. That is, love the gathering of the church. Second, love. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. That is, love the strangers. When you meet people who know and love Jesus, you don't know them though, but love them and pour your love upon them and remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. And those who are ill-treated, since you yourselves also are in the body, that is, those who are believers who have been placed in, in places of prison because of their faith. But love them, care for them, whatever you can. That's the sacrifice of doing good and sharing Hebrews 13, verse 16 is talking about. And I just say, don't neglect this. I mean, you don't hear this message today and say, okay, well, yeah, we've heard that, right? We love God, we love others. Yeah, I just... I say, don't neglect this. Put some time, put some effort to thinking about how you can love others. That's what verse 16 says. It says, do not neglect the doing of good and sharing. Literally, let, let, do not leave it behind. Do not say, well, there it is back there. And we're continuing on. It says, no, 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 don't leave it behind. But do it and be involved with that. Because there's incentive. Look here in verse 16. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. You know, the worship of God in the Old Covenant was really predicated upon seeking to please the Lord. As they, they took the animal and they put it up on the altar and the, the smoke rose up. They, they, they sought to please the Lord with this fragrant aroma. And God speaks often about how it enters His nostrils and how He, he loves that. But the promise here in verse 16 is that your sacrifice of love is pleasing to God. It will be accepted before the Lord. It's not as if you're going to burn this thing and hope it's accepted before the Lord. No, it will be accepted before the Lord as you love others. God is pleased when you give financially to a brother in need. God is pleased when you help a sister in need. God is pleased when your life is characterized by doing good and sharing. Well, this is a better worship. It's a sacrifice of praise. That's why we sing. It is serving. That's why we serve. So let's sing and let's serve. Third point, let's obey. Verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them. For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. And let them do this with joy and not with grief. For this would be unprofitable for you. Well, I trust you can see the commands here in verse 17. There are really two of them. There are actually three of them, but two right at the beginning. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Obey and submit. Two commands are really synonyms. That is, they, they mean the same thing. They both express obedience to the leaders in the church. God has given elders and deacons in the church to lead the church. Elders to shepherd and, and deacons to serve. And men in both positions are to be obeyed by the church body. Now, what's interesting about this verse, a hard thing to preach on. I wish we had a guest preacher today who would stand here and I'd sit here and he would tell you, right? Obey Steve and obey Phil and obey Aaron and obey Ray and obey Lance. But that's not the case. So, I'll try to, try to get around this. I mean, it might seem to come self-serving, but you know, we've just gone verse by verse through all of Hebrews. We're just going to pull this up as what exactly it says. It may come across me pulling authority for my own good, but... Even though I say, submit to me, it's not about me. 
But that's what Scripture says. But, but let me share you my heart, and then I think you can see how, how this command should fit. I want to so love you all, and so spend time with you all, and so serve you all, that your desire would be to submit to me. And I so want Phil and Darren to love you all, and serve you all, and spend time with you all, that your heart would want to submit to them in everything. And I want Ray and Lance to, to so love you and to so serve you and to so spend time with you that, that your aspiration would be to submit to them. In this way, I want it to be like a marriage, if you will. You, you think about Ephesians chapter 5 and it says, Wives, be submissive to your husbands in all things. Ask to the Lord. It's a pretty tall command. But to the husbands it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Let me just set up for you a model of what marriage is to be like. It works out the best, right? When a, when a husband sacrificially, lovingly serves and bends to his wife in all things. Just serves her and spends time with her and, and is affectionate with her and loves her and cherishes her. And then when that happens, the wife then feeling love will submit to the husband and will respect him. And as she submits and respects, he loves even more. And it's easy for her to submit and respect because she knows that he's got her good in mind. He's not self-serving because he has demonstrated that time and time again. And I know that's the counsel I always give married people. Husbands, love your wives sacrificially. Give everything to her. And if she's not submitting to you, it's your problem. You've not loved her. Because when you love her so much that she's convinced that you're not self-serving, but that every decision that you make has her good in mind, she'll gladly submit to that. And wives, you also need to submit. You say, well, my husband doesn't love me. Well, maybe you're not submitting to him. Maybe you're not respecting him. And if you don't respect him, he's going to find it hard to love. So respect him and respect him and respect him and build him up and help him and encourage him and watch him love you. That's how it works. Just these two things build on each other and... It's a biblical call for marriage. And in some regard, this is how the church can work as well. When leaders so love a congregation, when they pour themselves out for the congregation, and when the congregation knows that and experiences that and trusts that the decisions of the leaders aren't, aren't self-serving, but they're with the good of the body in mind because they've seen that their heart is for the body, then the church will gladly submit. Do you see what I'm saying? That's my heart. Can you picture it? I know I can picture it. I picture it by picturing the small church in Waynesgate, England in the 1700s. church had called young John Fawcett to be their pastor when he was a young man of age 26. He was born in 1740, converted under the preaching of George Whitfield. During his years in Waynesgate, his salary at the small church was meager and his family was growing. And he was a man of gifts and recognized in England and, and is actually called to take the pulpit of, of Carter's Lane Baptist Church, which is like the large and influential church in London, to succeed the well-known Dr. Gill. This isn't exactly right, but it's a little bit like um, Grace Community Church, where John MacArthur is, would come to Rockford and say, Steve Brandon, how about you come and be pastor of large, influential Grace Community Church? And so he, you know seeing higher pay, better establishment for his family, higher influence for the gospel, 
packed up everything in his wagon, got all set to go, and as the, the day arrived, his saddened congregation gathered around the wagons. Mrs. Fawcett broke down and said, John, I cannot bear to leave. I do not know how to go. And John Fawcett said, neither can I. And so he ordered the wagons to be unpacked, put back in the house where he would stay in Waynesgate in England. And there his family stayed for 50 years. His family stayed right there ministering in that church, which never got so big, continued to be small. His salary continued to be meager. But there was this love and affection between a pastor and the people that I'm talking about. And, and though his church was small, he became well-known. An outstanding preacher and scholar, open school for young preachers, wrote a number of books, given an honorary doctorate by Brown University here in the United States, even though he was in England. And from his experience, he wrote this hymn, Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. Meaning that the fellowship among church people can be like that above, the the love that the members of the Trinity have to one another. You know, there's submission in the Trinity as well. It's the the Son submits to the Father and the Spirit submits to the Son and the Father. And there's a relationship there. There's perfect love. And blessed be that tie that binds our hearts in such love that we emulate the Trinity, which the marriage does in some sense, which church family can in some sense. Perfect submission, perfect leadership. And although we're sinful and we're flawed, that's what he was talking about. And he knew it. He tasted it in Wayne's Gate. He said, before our Father's throne, we pour our ardent prayers. Our fears, our hopes, our aims are one, our comfort and our cares. He's talking about the body engaging and praying for one another before the throne, coming, coming together with a united voice with our cares and our burdens and our hardships and our helps. We share each other's woes. Our mutual burdens bear. And often for each other flows the sympathizing tear. Just you know, weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice and, and loving each other and caring each other. He's talking about the church there. And then he speaks about when we asunder part by death, right? It gives us inward pain, but we shall still be joined in heart and hope to meet again. And I just say, church family, when such love exists among a church body, among pastors, among people, Verse 17 is not hard to fulfill. Obey your leaders and submit to them. It's not a hard command. Those kind of things will come about. You know, I remember before being asked about uh, maybe looking for a bigger church. Have you interviewed any place else for a pastor you want to? And, and my response in those times, why would I leave here? Why would I leave? I mean, you all are my family that I love. Why would I want to go? What else do I want? I mean, you go to a bigger church, that just means bigger problems and bigger heartaches and bigger headaches. I'd rather be in a place where I can just minister and serve and love and care. That's what I want to be. It's my heart for you all. I want to help you and love you and lead you and spend time with you and, and rejoice in the babies born the Iversons in the Wheatex house this week. And bury you when it comes time for that. And know your kids. And give gifts to your kids, Right? And play with your kids and see them grow up and encourage them all that way. That's, that's my heart. My heart as a, as a leader in a pastor's church is Peter's heart. He exhorted the elders to shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not grudgingly or under compulsion, 
but voluntarily for God, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. He's talking there about shepherding willingly, not taking advantage of the flock, but desiring to do so. A call to lead like Jesus led, with humility and love and diligence and delight. It's what pastors ought to be like. Phil, it's what you ought to be like. Darren's in Colorado today, but that's what Darren ought to be like. It's the, it's the way the church of God ought to function. You know, I've used this illustration before. Think about a shepherd and a flock. Who's the king? It's not the shepherd. It's the, it's the sheep going, and they're eating, and then they get to walk to water, and they go, oh, and there's danger. And so what, what the shepherd goes and deals with the danger, right? And they're dirty, and the shepherd comes and cleans the sheep. Who's the king of the sheep? And the shepherd? The sheep. Jesus said, I've not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life for ransom for many. That's why Jesus is the greatest leader that we can have, the one we want to follow, because He's demonstrated His service to us. And so likewise, New Testament leadership is servant leadership. And it's servant leadership with accountability, with an end in mind. There's a reward. And when Peter continues that in 1 Peter 5, he says in verse 4, when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That's the reward of a faithful believer, reward of a faithful pastor. The unfading crown of glory which is ever before Me. We see the same thing here in the text of Hebrews. Look at verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For, this is the phrase I'm looking at, they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. We see the function described. Shepherds of the church are to keep watch over your souls. It's a spiritual duty here the inner life, to see how you're doing with your walk with God. And then there's, a, there's a vigilance there. There's a, there's a keeping awake. There's a, a being on the alert like a light watchman. A night watchman is watching and just looking out there for the enemy coming. Right? And someone, a spiritual leader is one who just looks out and, and he seeks to see how are the souls of people. That's a hard job to do. I mean, I can see how well you're dressed today. I can see some physical needs. Spiritual needs are very difficult to see. That's why it takes time. It takes conversation. It takes caring and loving and knowing. But that's that's the call. And I, I just say, you know, maybe it's the nature of the small church where we are. There's not a there's not an hour of the day I don't think about all of you and I don't think about the church. I pray for you all. I care for you. I can take a day off, but still, a day off is spent thinking and caring for you all. Because I know that there will be a day in which I stand before God in which all elders can stand before God and give account to how it is that they have watched and guarded and guided and shepherded this church. God inspects the works of those who shepherd the church. The leaders will give an account. Look what it says there. The very last phrase of verse 17. I'm sorry, the same thing. Keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. So, so it's the leaders who are keeping watch knowing that that they've got a boss at the end of the day. And who's the boss? The chief shepherd of the church is the boss. I've heard Mark Dever say something in effect that you'll never be disappointed in the day of judgment that your church was too small. Because questions will come like this. As the people came to worship, did you put Christ before them? Was the freeness of the Gospel there? Was it put forth with joy in the power of the Spirit? As the people watched you live, did you model life of Christ in front of them? And when you failed, were you free to confess your sins? As the people drifted into sin, did you pursue them and did you warn them and did you go after them? 
As people had conflicts, did you seek to do what you could do to resolve them and be a, play the role of a peacemaker? Those kind of questions, right, are going to be asked of all spiritual leaders in the last day. That day's on my mind constantly. I know of the day I'll be evaluated and I, I think of the failures. And I think of the successes and I just give it to the Lord and say, these guilty hands I raise, nothing in my hands I bring, right? But trust that through the blood of Christ it's all made right as God knows my heart. Now, there's a way this can go smooth and there's a way that this can go pretty rough. Look at verse 17. That's what it's talking about. And it's smooth and rough for me and smooth and rough for you as well. Last part of verse 17. Let them do this with joy. This is a command to you all. Let the leaders shepherd and watch over the church with joy and not with grief. For this would be unprofitable for you. A disobedient, rebellious people is discouraging for pastors. A disobedient, rebellious people is very discouraging for pastors. Um, grief fills pastor's heart when you see disobedient people. It makes it difficult to serve with joy. And an unhappy pastor is not good for you, congregation. Think about the marriage again. Right? The... The husband loves, and so the wife respects, and so that caused the husband to love more, and it caused the, the wife to respect more, and it caused the husband to love more, and the wife to respect more, and it kind of builds and grows. And so likewise, right, the pastor's love to people, as it creates an obedient people, it adds to the, the pastor's joy, which adds to the joy of the people, which makes the pastor's love even grow even more, which drives the people to love even more and to be obedient. And then the pastor's joy is increased. And this can just increase and continue to build upon one another. And that's what I, I hope and dream and pray for Rock Valley Bible Church. But it can go the other way as well. Maybe you've known marriages have gone sour like this, right? Where the, the husband's lack of love to the wife, therefore the wife then doesn't respect and then the husband doesn't love and doesn't respect and they just grow further. Rather than growing together, they just grow further and further and further and further apart. And so likewise, a church can happen like that. A pastor's lack of love to the congregation results in people not respecting him and disobeying him. And then the pastor's unhappy, which leads to the people being discontent which leads to the pastor's love being less and leads to more disobedient people even more. And that can spiral downward and downward and downward and downward as well. That's why church splits happen so easily and quickly because of the sinfulness of people. But the call upon you all is to do what you can to help my joy because that would be profitable for you as things here go well. So, Help me do my job. Help Phil and Darren do their jobs. Help Ray and Lance do their jobs with joy because that's ultimately profitable for you. So help and encourage where you can. Spiritual leadership is by and large a discouraging place. Many pastors leave the pulpit often. Many many leave every year. I, I read a statistic that said um, out of ten men entering the ministry... One will endure until his old age. One of ten. It's because spiritual leadership can be a discouraging thing because people are disobedient. They discourage a pastor. And it gets this, this winding down thing. And I'm just hoping that we wind it up here and we know great love and joy here. Which, by the way, we know. Okay? I'm happy to report. <laughs> That's where we are. I'm just saying, let's keep climbing that ladder. 
till we enter joy in heaven. Well, here we go. Sing and serve. Verse 15 and 16. Obey and pray. Pray is verse 18 and 19. And we'll just finish it up here quickly here. Verse 18. Look at pray for us. For we are sure that we have a good conscience desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. And I urge you all the more to do this so that I may be restored to you the sooner. At this point, we get some insight into the circumstances surrounding a letter which really have been very little up to this point. But now here in verse 18 and 19, we get to see something that's, that's happening. We see the best place to start here is at the end of verse 19. So that I may be restored to you the sooner. So, so somehow they're not restored. So somehow they're distant, right? He wants to be, come back. He wants to be with these people. He's distant from them right now. He is apart from them. And we don't know why they were separated. Maybe there was a prison issue here. Maybe the writer was in prison for preaching the gospel. Maybe there was an illness here that, that prevented travel. Maybe it was political pressure. Maybe burdens of the ministry elsewhere. Maybe something else we don't know of. But we know that they were apart and longing to be together once again. It was out of his control. That's why he's asking for prayer. Seeking that God would change the circumstances so as to allow them to be together. And it just shows that this man believed in prayer. He believed that God would change things for the better through prayer. Notice how the call to prayer comes twice. Pray for us. Verse 19, And I urge you all the more to do this. The repetition of this call to pray twice just brings attention upon the importance of this call. And even in verse 19 where it says, I urge you all the more to do this. It just, just extends to pray and really pray. Pray for us. And I would call you to do the same thing. Pray. Pray for us. Pray for the leaders of this church. Pray for us by name. You know, there's one particular man in this congregation, I'll leave him nameless, who constantly comes up and asks me, says, how was your week? How's your sermon prep? How are things going? I just really appreciate it. He says, I've been praying for you. Just that encourages me to no end to know that He is praying for me. He puts forth His heart though and He says, praying for us. Why? Because, verse 18, we are sure that we have a good conscience desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. I thought long and hard about how is this? You normally say, pray for us because we're in trouble. Pray for us because difficulties are coming. Pray for us to have a sinful heart. But he says, pray for us because I have a pure heart. I think some, maybe it's coming from verse 17 where he says, obey us, obey the leaders. Maybe he's saying, I've got a clear conscience in this. I'm not coming with any false agenda. I'm not seeking to lord my authority over you or some glory for myself. I'm not seeking to go behind your backs. I'm coming just right out in the open. I've got a good conscience about this. So pray for us all the more that we might be restored to you. And I think most of you know me well enough. I'm, I'm not pulling out the pastor's card to say, hey, obey me because I'm a pastor. Let me say, my plan and my ways, I think this is the way of Jesus, is to love you into submission. It's the best way to do it. Husbands, that's the best way for your wives. Don't ever demand your wives submit to you. Love them into submission. That's what you need to do. That's the path. And I say, my conscience before you is clear. By the blood of Christ, I'm cleansed, desiring just to, just to be a leader who would watch over your souls, knowing that I will give an account to the Lord. So let's sing and serve. Let's obey and pray. Let's sing because we're saved through the glorious Gospel of Jesus Christ. Not because of anything we've done, but because of His mercy and grace.
Let's serve because Jesus Christ has served us and what can we do but serve others in fulfillment of the golden rule. Let's obey because we've been called by the Lord, been called for obedience to be a holy people. Let's pray because we are dependent upon the Lord in everything and in every way. So let's pick up our better worship than New Covenant calls us to do, to sing and serve and obey and pray. So let's pray. Father, I thank You for these words that we have here this morning. Even as we're nearing the end of the book of Hebrews, I pray that it would stir our hearts, just continue to fresh, just for the glories of Jesus. That would give us a heart to, to love and serve You by loving and serving others. So help us this day even to continue our fellowship after church here so we have a meal that's planned for us. May we rejoice in, in Your goodness to us. Thank You for this church body whom I love. Think of the many people here, the faces who I, I love to see on Sundays. I love to meet with during the week, however that can get done. So our family has so much joy in being with the, the people of this church, especially the kids and the role they play. I pray that you would help us and strengthen us to continue to live for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, I just have uh, one announcement, two announcements really, as we finish up here. Uh, we're grilling for our potluck. we got a big grill outside there. And I'm not sure exactly how it's going to work, whether you bring your meat and put it on there, but we'll, we'll figure that out. Uh, we're going to try outside. Uh, since the weather is, is nice and warm. Um, as you all know, um, an email that uh, our two babies. Tim, any update on Wednesday? I just know that it's been hard. Lauren's been hard sleeping. So, any update you want to give at all? Doing okay. Good. Ellie, you want to give any update on uh, Phineas at all? Because your parents aren't here. How are things going? Is he, he's probably the cutest little baby you've ever seen, huh? Okay. <laughs> Any update? How are, how are things going? How's your mom doing? Okay, tired. Okay. And I know many of you have opportunities to serve by just setting the meals. I know. Uh, Michelle, how is that going? We're good. All right. Well, they always appreciate whatever you can give. And uh, I, just, I just remember our babies have been born and we just get lots of, lots of food. It's been very nice. Um, to serve them, that'd be a great way in their time of need and tiredness. That'd be good. Uh, you know, regarding the potluck, I'm sure if you're visiting and planned on staying, we encourage you to stay. You can do that. I'm sure there's enough meat. We can. We have a little extra, Vaughn. Do we have some extra? Okay, a lot of extra. Okay, so if you need some extra, we're glad to glad to give you some. Uh, no Sunday evening service tonight. So we've been having a visiting pastors from the. Uh, from the Rockford area come. Jeff Johnson from Kishwaukee Bible Church is going to come next Sunday. So come to that and uh, plan on, on playing out in the yard afterwards. It's been a great time. Uh, you know, we probably had about 30 people playing Ultimate Frisbee out there last Sunday night after church. Uh, just be a good, good time of fellowship with all of us. Okay? Well, let's stand. I want to pray. Thank the Lord for our food. And uh, then I will dismiss you all. Father, we do thank you for this day of worship. Thank You for the Word which um, feeds our soul, encourages us. would pray that we would take these things into our heart, that we would be a, a loving church, leaders to people, people to leaders, people to people, 
God, all around, help us to love and serve because we've been loved and served by Jesus. And we do thank you for how you always provide for us. And even our potluck together here is a, is a picture of the marriage supper of the Lamb. We will gather with uh, many millions who have believed and trusted you all down through the ages. And we pray that it would be a great time of, of rejoicing and happiness and fellowship. Uh, God, so bless that food to our bodies. Uh, may we serve and love one another. We thank you for Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.